Hey everyone, before we start the show, I just want to let you know that if you enjoy the Dare Daniel podcast, if you like the work we're doing here, you can help us grow the show by making a donation through the Dare Daniel website. Your generous contributions will help offset the cost of producing the show and will also enable long-term projects. You can make a one-time payment or set up a monthly subscription. Any amount helps and it's really greatly appreciated. Thanks a lot and here's the show. Nowhere third act Russian captain. <laughs> You're listening to the Dare Daniel podcast, where you send us your most sinister movie dares, and we suffer the consequences for your amusement. I'm Corky McDonald, and this time the mission is a manet. And with me, as always, is Daniel Barnes, a film critic for the Sacramento News and Review, and a member of the San Francisco Film Critic Circle. Hi everyone, as Corky said, on this show we do your dirty work by watching the most unwatchable movies you can imagine, and then we review and rate them on our unique scale. Your everyday average run-of-the-mill bad film, we give that one a dare. Double dare goes to the truly atrocious movies, and we reserve the reverse dare, the hallowed, rarely bestowed reverse dare for those despised movies that are actually pretty good. Today on the podcast, we'll be reviewing George Clooney's 2014 movie, The Monuments Men, starring... George Clooney, Matt Damon, Bill Murray, and Kate Blanchet. Well, after what seems like months and months of episodes where all we were doing was drinking hazy IPAs, Not a hazy problem. pale ales, and hazy double IPAs, I figure let's mix it up a little bit. Sure. So today I bought, uh, or I brought an almanac. Uh, so today I brought Forbidden Lager. It is an oak-aged lager from Almanac of San Francisco. Uh, Almanac is usually known for their sour beers, which are fantastic, but they also do some lagers and IPAs and, you know, uh, saisons and other things like that, more conventional beers. Uh, this one is 5.5% alcohol. It is uh, brewed with yeast of Eden. It has huel melon and mandarin hops. It was made with malt from Admiral Maltings in Alameda, uh, the only place in California, I believe, that does its own malting. Oh. Uh, it is a gold lager aged in oak, and it has a really nice uh, vanilla flavor, but it also has a very crisp finish. It's a little sweeter and a little little more substance than your usual lager, but it also has that nice crisp finish that you want from a lager. I almost forgot what other beers taste like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that beer. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. beer. No, it's good. It, sweet is a perfect adjective for this. That's what this is. Yeah. So today's dare came to us from Seth Katz. Thank you, Seth, for the dare. Seth is my friend. I did see that you sent this from your Sarah Lawrence email account, Seth. Now, look, I'm not here to judge, but is that the best use of your work time? Mm, dry snitching on the podcast, Yeah, huh? wow. yeah. I'm I'm trying to keep him honest. He's a young kid, and I'm mentoring him, and uh, I'm a little concerned about his future. But come on, get to work, buddy. All right, Seth's a dare from work. It's rare for a cast this good to be wasted so badly. Clooney's track record as a director was, if not highly esteemed, at least solid until this turd. IMDb synopsis was a little kinder. An unlikely World War II platoon is tasked to rescue art masterpieces from Nazi thieves and return them to their owners. Yeah, so Corky, if you remember, in episode 17, we reviewed a little film called Suburbicon, and I think that might have actually been what inspired Seth there. In that movie, which came out last year, director George Clooney and his writing and producing partner Grant Heslov took an extremely disturbing real-life incident and wedged it into kind of a wacky crime comedy. 
And here we go again. The Monuments Men is loosely based on the real-life story of art historians, museum professionals, and archivists who were deployed as military officers to protect works of art, monuments, historical buildings in Western Europe, and they also found and recovered artwork that was stolen by the Nazis. The film is ostensibly adapted from the nonfiction book of the same name, but most of the names have been changed, except for, like, Hitler. But all the names of the Monument Men have been changed. <laughs> Clooney did assemble an all-star cast that included himself, Matt Damon, Bill Murray, that's Aloha, episode four, check right. it out, yep. Kate Blanchett, John Goodman, and Jean Dujardin. Between them, that's five Oscar nominees and right. three Oscar winners. Yeah. Unfun fact, did you know John Goodman has never been nominated for an Oscar? Why? Because Hollywood is a moral cesspool, <laughs> and it's poisoning the minds of our children. And God is dead. God <laughs> is not here. <laughs> he can't protect you. The Bondsman was originally scheduled for release on December 18, 2013, positioned to rack up awards, that cast, the subject matter, the milieu, uh, everything. They even released a trailer that summer, but whether because of low expectations of the film or because of a post-production process that extended far too long, the release date was moved to February 7, 2014, essentially out of awards consideration. It was not well received by critics when it did come out. It earned scores of 30 on Rotten Tomatoes, 52 on Metacritic. Audiences weren't that much kinder. It had a production budget of about $90 million, gross $78 million domestic, $76 million overseas, despite the lesser box office competition when it moved to February. Uh, it was not a bomb, but it was still fairly disappointing, all things considered. Quirky. Sure. We disagreed on Suburbicon. It wasn't like, you loved it, I hated it. No. It was more like, you thought it was okay, I thought it was a dumpster fire filled with burning hair. Yeah, that's that's yeah. fair to say. I gave you multiple opportunities to apologize. You mm -hmm. refused. Mm -hmm. But I see you've moved on from that, which I, is good. I'm not bitter <laughs> no. at all. I forgive you. So here we are uh, with Monuments Men. Now, I hated Suburbicon, but as much as I hated that film, I thought Monuments Men... Made Suburbicon look like Rear Window. <laughs> um, has this vapidly pretentious pile of feces mm. masquerading as a movie finally brought you to your senses about George Clooney, the director, and more importantly, will you finally break down and apologize? <laughs> well, first off, let's just get this out of the way. The lawyer has prevented me from discussing all these matters with you, Daniel, because there are still pending litigation Absolutely. On these disagreements. On so many levels and at so many courts and, and yeah. for so many different crimes. It's it's insane. Right. And with you bringing this Seth Katz heat down upon yourself, <laughs> I don't want to entangle you anymore. I'm naming names, bitter, baby. Bitter I'm naming names. But George Clooney, uh, brother, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help uh, you. I'm trying to get your movies watched. Mm. I'm trying to talk about them. But you're, you're giving me stuff like this. Mm. This this movie was a non-movie. This was a book report. This movie is awful. It, yeah. is, it is awful. And it is not awful in the sense that it's poorly made, like the camera's out of focus, You're or never that anyone's get that. not a professional or anything like no. that. It is so vapid, so vapid. There's no real momentum. There's no plot. There's no character development. Like you no talk journeys. about how they change the characters' names, but who gives a shit? You never need to know their names the, at never. all. You never need to know anything about these people No character at all. is going on any kind of coherent sort of a journey. And it's not just that it's vapid, because I can handle that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I can handle bad. It's vapid and pretentious about it, too. Yes. Yeah. This movie is nonstop speeching and preaching. 
it feels like a campaign stump speech that has been rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed that has been made into a movie until there is no personality to it. The this first mo- time you see Clooney and the last time you see Clooney, he's standing at an art po- a podium lecturing yes. about art, and that's what this entire that's movie this is. It's Clooney movie lecturing you about art Absolutely. and how important it is. And that, But that's just it. It's important, and that's all this movie has to say about yep. art. Like That's just it. It's pious, it's pretentious, it's preachy, and yet, like I said, it is completely vapid. It is not thinking anything about art. It is not saying anything about art. It is not feeling anything about art, and when you don't feel, it's numb, and when you're numb, you're dead. This movie is numb and dead. So now that we've told you how empty and pointless and meaningless this movie is, sit back and listen to us go through it step by step. (laughs) Monuments Men, 2015, director Clooney. Right away, before any image in the film, the score is single-tier swooning, and it continues this sort of swelling, swooning sort of score, whether it's appropriate for the scene or not. And you can feel that post-production process here where Clooney was just like, maybe just throw in some of the more of the music and people will feel something. Yeah. But yeah, the score is, my wife had the perfect word for it, obnoxious. <laughs> we open on priests in a convent in Ghent, Belgium, and they're smuggling art, which is, I guess, a cornerstone of Catholic- yeah, Catholicism. Yeah, they're hiding it from the Nazis. And this is the first of <laughs> hundreds of date and place chirons oh that we God. see in the movie. There are like a half dozen in the first few minutes. Yeah. So first, first chiron, Ghent, Belgium. All right, that's the priest. Next, March 1943, Paris. We see a fat Nazi riding in the back of a car. And the Nazi should have been played by Bill Paxton's <laughs> character from Weird Science when he changes to the lump of shit. Because that's all he is. He's just... <laughs> he's just... He is Jabba the Hutt yes, in the back of that thing. And that's, that's uh, Reich Marshal Goring. Yeah. He comes into a building that is filled with art treasures. Kate Blanchett, we see, is working there as a secretary. Yep. And he's collecting all these art treasures. And this shitheel boss with this mustache, I can't remember his name, but he's the shitheel boss. A stall. Stall the shit heel. I think stall is German for shit heel. <laughs> Sorry to any Germans out there. But yeah, he's the one who is sort of like collecting all of these treasures. Kate Blanchett is the secretary. She spits in a champagne glass because, you know, she's... She's, we can see that she's... Uh, she's a part of the French and maybe part of the resistance. We don't exactly. know that. But then, of course, the scene after they spit into the champagne glass that she had to go get, it's close up on the man stall drinking it. spit and going the, into his the mouth. the sound is turned way oh, up on the gloops. Yeah. He drinks champagne uh, like nobody drinks champagne. No, like, glug, <laughs> Next, Chiron. August 1943, Milan, Italy. We see destruction. We see the Last Supper, uh, this fresco that's on the wall. And it pulls back, and now we get Clooney, who is lecturing about all these monuments that are being destroyed while uh, bombs are going off all across Europe. Uh, he's actually lecturing directly to FDR, who we never see full on. Yeah, we, and, the, we get the back of FDR's head we, and a voice. Yes. Uh, they're very respectful of FDR. We do see uh, Truman's Truman's face, an like, asshole. Truman, whatever. He's a complete piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> but we're not going to show FDR's face. Very respectful. So he's talking about the Ghent altarpiece, which has been stolen by the Nazis. And the Nazi talks about how not only are we bombing a bunch of buildings and they're bombing a bunch of buildings all over Europe and monuments and everything, but Hitler is also amassing all of these works of art. It all sounds phony. It all sounds fake and rehearsed. It all sounds like movie dialogue. Is what, that's what it is. It's movie dialogue. It's everything is constantly explaining itself. In fact, 
after he mentions the whole Ghent altar thing, he pulls out another slide. Again, not the last slideshow we'll see either. He pulls out another slide and decides to start explaining World War II (laughs) to to Franklin Delano (laughs) Roosevelt. He actually gives a, here's what's going on in World War II. Hey, buddy. I think he knows. Don't cloonsplain <laughs> like, World War II. Too fucking FDR. <laughs> like, what, a one second you're showing respect for him, and the next time you're talking to him like he's a five year old. <laughs> and then this is the part where this is where I first noticed Clooney. I'm like, oh man, you're you're killing these movies because he does this thing where you still hear him lecturing to us. Oh. Now it's overcut with him and his family, and it's just him tousling his sleeping son's hair, and the music swell kicks in, and it's like. It should have just said poignant yeah. across the We're scene. We're supposed to feel something just because there's Clooney and there's his kid, and that's it, yeah. right? Like, that's all that we need to get. March 1944, New York City. We're like five minutes into the film here. I stopped writing dates now. <laughs> I wrote them all. I loved it. So during Clooney's uh, speech with FDR, he talks about how he wants to put together a team of people to go and protect these monuments and go and find these paintings. Yeah. So now Clooney is going to put together a team of art scholars to go with him. And he's going to do it Danny Ocean style, Danny right? Ocean style. Wrong, because it is not the least bit entertaining. <laughs> There's no Steven Soderbergh to help him. There is nothing to help him here. But they're going to, quote, protect what's left and find what's missing. That's the mission. We start meeting some of the members of his team, which include Bill Murray, who is an architect. We see Matt Damon. He's laying on his back, painting a ceiling, and Clooney even calls it out, Little Sistine Chapel. No, Uh it's like, that's what you were going for. Exactly. Uh, We see Jean Dujardin, who is French, and he has his femme fatale plane. Basically, everyone has some kind of a colorful wartime job that they go and And interrupt. And the reason they point that out is because that's their biggest character trait of every one of these people is their job. That's it. That's all that they really have. That's all we learn. We don't even know their names as much as we know their jobs. This part of the movie, this is probably what got cut down really hard because it rushes through assembling the team. They they send them to basic training, which amounts to basically one scene of people crawling on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And again, some just really, really lowbrow, nyuck, nyuck, nyuck kind of humor, really lame. And it's just the mix of that really goofy, lowbrow humor and then getting into really heavy stuff and then trying to talk about big subjects. And of course, it's World War II, the Holocaust is happening the entire time. And the movie semi-acknowledges that. Yeah. And then just to throw this goofy, goofy antics in here is just when, so irritating. When we meet John Goodman's character, I guess he's the sculpture historian right he's working on a sculpture so you don't see that it's john goodman until the camera pans around the sculpture and his head pops out then they have john goodman go to basic training yeah john goodman could not have made it up the stairs to work on that sculpture you know what i'm saying no and he he, the whole end of the movie he's walking with a cane and sits down in scenes it's clear he could not have gotten down and gotten up like that i mean i love you john goodman i tried to figure out if it was like a green screen or if they did just put his head on a body like (laughs) Livia soprano (laughs) in season three doing backflips and stuff all of a sudden. And everybody's forgotten, man. Bob Balaban is there. Bob Balaban's there. Yeah. And Hugh Bonneville, who is the British officer. Is he a drunk? Of course he's <laughs> a drunk. Everyone here has some kind of a shadowy backstory that never matters. Never matters at all. Lots of setup. More slideshows. Basically, it just reiterates the premise, which is that Hitler is stealing art, and we're going to go to Europe and find the art. We're like 20 minutes in, and we've had about 
20 different set pieces. Yeah, it's all fucking over the place. And now it's just like, okay, we're a team and we're riding in a U-boat onto the beach at Normandy. Well, the, but the, they assembled the team and now they split up because Matt Damon went on the Bourne contingency mission because he couldn't be there for filming these scenes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Matt Damon goes off on a whole other The first thing. half of the movie, Matt Damon's by himself. <laughs> Next date and place, Chiron, July 1944, Normandy. And do you think the score swells when they walk onto the beach in the aftermath of Normandy? Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah. Kind of following the American soldiers as, I mean, they're sort of following as the Americans are turning the tide in the war. Right, yeah. yeah. So they're kind of following behind. They're not going to get any help from the soldiers who are just like, we don't care about art, we're going to bomb everything. Uh, we learned that Matt Damon's French is not that good because he's in Paris by himself. His French is not that good. He learned it to speak French-Canadian. And I thought this was a f- kind of funny bit. All the French people who, when they learn he speaks French, do you speak English? Yes, <laughs> let's speak English. <laughs> so he goes off to uh, next uh, Chiron, Deauville, France, <laughs> because suddenly, without any explanation, they are all just splitting up. And you can just different... move around anywhere you want he just to. wherever you want. So he at first connects with, I-, I believe, just like a resistance worker, like a farmer or something yeah. like that, who's going to take him to a gallery owner that he knows in Paris, which is currently... Occupied Paris. Yeah. We also see the Nazi boss, Shitheel, Shitheel Stahl, come into Kate Blanchett's apartment. Her her brother, who was in the resistance, was shot. He knew something that only someone who worked for Shitheel could know. This reminded me so this much of... This is a of, totally pointless scene to just uh, manufacture some kind of like... Uh, but it reminded me of your uh, Nazis from Shining Through, that the Nazis are the most incompetent dumb fucks They're so dumb i come here i tell you i know you're up to something yeah your brother was murdered because of what you're up to and i'm going to investigate you yeah and then he leaves i could look around <laughs> and find stuff in your place <laughs> yeah. but i'm out like i actually broke in yeah but i'm gonna respect your boundaries we learned that there's a german-born american soldier his name is epstein he's kind of like the valet around where Clooney and his men have assembled yeah he and is our Jewish character. He's our Jewish he's, American. He's, he's our, the Jewish. He's the American with the cause. The representation of all Jewish people, right? So, but he's also, but he's also doubles as the I can speak German exactly. So, so I can be in a interpreter. scene where there's a German uh, soldiers who were captured and they had a truck full of art. They won't talk to Clooney, but the Jewish driver Epstein overhears them uh, whispering about a secret location. We next see Kate Blanchett. We're now going back to this again. These stories have not been integrated not at, all at all at this point, and it's so clumsy the way it does it. So Kate Blanchett sees that her Nazi boss is leaving with a train full of art to somewhere, and she yells after him, I see you, I see you, and he tries to like shoot at her from, from a moving train. <laughs> from a moving train from like a mile away. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the shit heel takes off with all the art. All the art, gone. Boom. Next Chiron, St. Lo, France. Another map, more explaining, re-explaining. Everyone is going to split up into teams now. The We've... remaining six people are going to split up into teams. Why? I have no fucking clue. Why did you even introduce all these people? Exactly. There's just like so many people and like no one gets developed, no story gets developed, so everything just jumps all around. So now we're going to jump between four separate storylines now and all of them are incredibly boring <laughs> Clooney and Bonneville are on some mission where Clooney 
invents a radio to talk to everybody. So now we now we have this communication he invents, device. He invents the cell phone he during World War Two. It's <laughs> this movie is fucking stupid. But Clooney loves. I you you'll see this in every Clooney movie. He loves that that bit where he's about to say something and then changes his mind. Yeah, it's like his Mel Gibson scream face. It's his Tom Cruise run. It's his Denzel walk. Yeah, it's the I'm about to say something and then I'll just say something totally different. Exactly. So. He invents this little radio, and even though everyone's just in the next room, it seems, <laughs> he gives yet another campaign speech about how important this all is and how, uh, like, give it a rest, buddy. I would have loved it, though I would have honored it more if he brought, like, you, in the scene there was the orchestra behind him swelling the music to let you know how important this was. This is where everyone's kind of, before everyone splits up, everyone kind of sits around talking about their backstories and giving yeah. speeches and toasting each other. So Hugh Bonneville's very shadowy backstory seems to be just that he was a drunk. Yeah. Which it, is really weird because everyone talks about about it like he's murdered people. Like they're just like, oh, thank God you redeemed him. In the opening scene where we meet Matt Damon, he also talks about being a drunk. It never comes up again. No. Never comes up. But Hugh Bonneville, oh yeah, he's got to <laughs> suffer for his fucking <laughs> Oh man. The Frenchman Jean Dujardin, he gives a speech he talks a little bit he's french so that's his speech to the monuments men and at this point i was like in the movie it feels like they've known each other for 15 seconds and they're doing this big toast like it's this amazing reunion or they're all the best of friends that is really tight unit yeah we've barely seen any of them together we haven't barely interacted there's some hinted at tension between bob balaban's character and bill murray's character oh man does that pay off no no that why do we care that these people kind of antagonize each other nothing no reason nothing. it's just the, to give them something to do the the dialogue is so clunky but each scene is such a heavy-handed you know what's wrong with war kind of thing there's a scene with bob balaban where he's talking to priests about the ghent altarpiece that was stolen he's talking to the abbe about it and the abbe says uh you know the nazis discovered them trying to escape with it and bob balaban has to ask what happened to the priests are they okay <laughs> yeah totally you've lived in the world before bob balaban you're 60 60 he's like 70 here yeah pretty neglectful of the u.s military to just send a bunch of senior citizens Unarmed out into as privates. This would be so ridiculous. It's awful, and yet it's also like it's so somber and so brown and so so proud of itself. Yeah, you know? like I said, it's just constantly swelling with pride. So Damon and the farmer are going to fly into France. So we get the most pointless flying scene since Fifty Shades of Grey. But uh, I do love that Damon goes Paris and points <laughs> down, and then you see the scene, and it's obviously Paris. There's the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> He's telling a Frenchman <laughs> this. Telling a Frenchman, like you think he doesn't fucking know what the Eiffel Tower is. And Paris, of course, it's wartime in Paris. So yeah, th- all the city's lights are on. Sure, that's yeah. the way. That's the way they did things. He goes to meet the gallery owner. The gallery owner basically directs him to the jail sure. where Kate Blanchett is. Yeah. Now, when we last saw Kate Blanchett, she was watching the Nazi flee. She was with getting all bucked at by a Nazi. Exactly. Uh, She's Reich now Marshall. in prison. Yeah. She has been in prison as a collaborator. Right. Even though she was a member of the resistance. And suddenly Paris is just like liberated. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's just like, what fucking happened there? This is where I also realized that Kate Blanchett, who I thought was German because her accent, <laughs> is French. And I did a total double take. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, 
Oh, because I thought okay, there's a lot of bad German accents in here. So I thought she's just another doing another bad German accent. No, she's doing a really bad French accent. <laughs> she essentially is very sarcastic and resistant to Matt Damon for no reason. And she keeps this up for the next year. Yeah. Literally a year. Balaban goes out to take a piss at the farmhouse where him and Bill Murray are staying at. This is where like the movie is. This is chaos. Yeah. This is complete chaos. Yes. What this movie is, is George Clooney says, I like this scene from this war movie. I like this scene from this war movie. I like this touch. Here's something I think would have happened in a good war movie. And puts every and one of those in a movie. Throws it all together, whether any of it fits or not. So this sequence starts with Bob Balaban and Bill Murray, like you said, antagonizing each other. Right. Bob Balaban makes a joke about how he doesn't know that Bill Murray can read or something like that. So it's nyuck, 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 super lowbrow, dumbass humor. Bob Balaban walks out to take a piss, and instantly there's a Nazi who is just wandering in the forest by himself who holds him at gunpoint. Then does it cut to Murray coming out? No. It cuts to Epstein, <laughs> the Jewish soldier, and Clooney. At a different location. Several minutes of Epstein talking about his backstory and about how there was a painting in his hometown and the Jews were never allowed to see it yeah. and his grandfather and all this. That goes on for several minutes. Then it cuts back. Murray walks in on Balaban and the Nazi. Yeah. Then they have a little goofy Mexican standoff kind of thing. Then it cuts to another scene, cuts back to Balaban and Murray, and they're just walking away. That's how it resolves. Like, this is complete insanity. Like, any possible tension, any possible comedy, any possible interest in Epstein's backstory, it's all completely undermined by how this is assembled together. It is chaos it is complete chaos he had no idea what the fuck he was doing no it's several episodes of a vietnam war television show each scene yeah but like out of order yeah out <laughs> like of order. just cut into random order there's basically two uh, you know they're they're tasked with going after works of art but they basically focus on two one is the ghent altarpiece that we see from the beginning the other is this madonna by michelangelo that is in a church in bruges it might as well be called the MacGuffin and child <laughs> takes- that's what it is because that is the whole point of the last 30 minutes in the movie and it's the whole point of hugh bonneville's arc if you want to call it an right arc, which is that he's going to redeem himself by going and trying to protect the statue the madonna statue he gets resistance from his superior so he just sneaks into Bruges. He just basically shining throughs it, like just wanders into from city to city, like he could just fucking vaporize. I cruise into Bruges. Just cruise right into Bruges. He he barricades the church with the priests, and then immediately starts writing a letter home, which again just sounds like another campaign speech about how important everything that they're doing is. He then dies in what I can only describe as the most undramatic and weirdly unheroic way possible. It is the Nazis come in. They come into the church. The priests let them in because they're disguised or something? Because they, they, they said that there was a dying person on the stretcher, and the priest is really, uh, should I? I? But I'll let him. We're priests. So we're he good. lets them in, and then they're like, okay, we're Nazis. Yeah. So then they go through the whole process of, I mean, this statue, loading it into a crate and taking it out and all this other stuff. As they're leaving, which this must have been like, he was just sitting there writing the letter the whole time? Well, see, that's this is the thing. You know Hugh Bonneville's time is up in this movie because he's narrating a letter to his father about how he's going to see him again. Exactly. And then it, things start moving and slow motion yes 
So as everyone is just walking out the door, the Nazis have their, they've got the statue, they're gone. The last guy, Bonneville from behind a crate, just decides to like wing this fucking one Nazi. But the Nazi. Who immediately turns around and is, just pumps him full. The of Nazi only goes over there because, and we don't hear it because of music and the narration, but Bonneville must have like coughed or farted or something. <laughs> that the Nazi's like, the one Nazi's like, what's what? that? He's like, all right, I lost the statue, but I'm going to injure one guy. Yeah. So, and we don't even see him get shot. We nope. just kind of crane around and then we see behind it and there he is. He's, he's writhing dead. in pain. He's dead. And then all the Monuments men get to get all preachy and all moist about Hugh Bonneville now. And then the letter to his dad is bloodstained. So now we know it's that blood he's stained. dead. Oh my God. Uh, so we go back to Damon and Kate Blanchett. Let me ask you this. What is her goddamn deal? I don't know. She, she just like she hates Damon. She doubts everything about him, even though she's now following him as he's going around doing his job now. Yeah. She's just <laughs> she he got her out of prison. She was she she's was like, considered a Nazi collaborator. Now she's in interning. Paris post occupation. <laughs> and now he got her out of jail and she's following him around making sarcastic comments the whole just time. Just talking shit. But it's get, the movie's full of dialogue, like when he looks at all the stuff stolen art he's like what is all this she says people's lives yes uh, what people jews <laughs> that's literally the lines of dialogue in this movie the thing is matt damon gives her literally no reason to not trust him you know what right. i mean his arc that we see it's not as though he's like oh I'll, i want these treasures or, or i have some kind of ulterior motive or i'm not sure about this or i don't really care about this he obviously cares. Yeah. He does nothing wrong. He's very sincere the entire time, and yet she just follows him around. And she like, knows who she is, he is. He, exactly. She knows he's the curator of the New York Met. Next, Chiron, December 1944, the Battle of the Bulge. And it's a very Murray and Balaban Christmas. <laughs> um, Bill Murray gets their opening presents together. Bill Murray gets a record from home, uh, and he's going to go off and take a shower in the middle of the night. It's freezing, but he's just going to take a shower. While he's in the shower, uh, Bob Balaban starts playing the record, and it's like his grandkid singing him a Christmas carol. And again, this movie gets all moist. But... God forbid there's any kind of coherent emotion because it also cuts <laughs> to Clooney and Epstein in and, the middle of this whole thing. And Grant Heslov's uh, cameo <laughs> Clooney as a Epstein surgeon. and Heslov. And they are just carrying a car accident victim into a medical tent and doing the usual, oh, breathe, breathe, breathe. Oh, he's losing blood. Get he's the morphine. Blood. Get the morphine. Get He'll the morphine. Oh, is he okay? Is he okay? Oh, he's fine. He's fine. Get the morphine. Get a priest. Take oh. off the tourniquet. Oh, he's fine, kid. He's fine, kid. Yeah. <laughs> no. Do we ever see the car accident? No, no. Where are Clooney and Epstein? Are they in the same place? Are they somewhere else? No fucking clue. I will say, though. No I... fucking clue. Right in the middle of trying to wring as much emotion yeah. out of Bill Murray's grandkids singing the damn Christmas carol, they cut to this nonsense. You're going to hate me for this, but it worked on me, because this was Quirky Crymark, Dear Daniel Crymark, number five. It It's just, it, that's what it was meant to do. It worked on me. The that's... scene... <laughs> of the kids singing, I started crying. I don't, maybe I'm emotional because afterwards I started watching like soldiers reunited with their family videos. <laughs> I'm emotional too. Hate is an emotion. It's probably the most powerful emotion. I was crying, and then every time it would come back to Hezlov telling, "Oh yeah, take off the tourniquet." No, kitty's fine. I'd be like, "What the fuck? Why are we back to him? No, Why are we back fine. on this?" It's get get a body bag. Uh, is he okay? No, he's fine, kid. No, he's fine. No, he'll be all right. He'll be all right. You need a liver over there. You need to, a heart over <laughs> yes. there. Great. No, he's fine, kid. Let's nope. start harvesting this corpse. All right. <laughs> Jesus. 
Jesus fuck. <laughs> Bill Murray doesn't know that Bob Balaban's going to play that record. Right. What if the message was bad? I know, what, right? what if it was like, look, uh, the chlamydia I contracted, the doctor said it was from you. Uh, I just found out about your mistress and the puppy died. You know what I mean? What if that was the message? Now the whole camp is hearing this. I thought it was a little invasive. I thought Although, it was a little invasive. Again, we don't even know if there was a whole camp where they were. He might have just been in the shower in the next tent. They're so clumsily set up. So we keep cutting around, and again, this is just more underlining stuff we already know. Nazi trucks are filled with paintings. Matt Damon is still trying to push a resistant Kate Blanchett to give him information. She at least tells him the paintings are in Germany. Right. I mean, probably could have figured that one out. And then, and then we now build in a ticking clock, because the Russians have their own trophy br- Yeah, we bring brigade. in a whole Russian thing, yeah. Next, Chiron, Remagen, Germany. Talk about the Nero Decree. Which, again, this is, has nothing to do with anyway. It's just, a, a, a again, like a pointless kind of thing thrown in there to try and give some kind of tension. To remind you that Hitler was a bad guy. That, like, yeah, Hitler's bad, and he might destroy this art if we don't protect it very, very slowly. <laughs> we then cut to hilarious dental hijinks with Bill Murray and Bob Balaban. What the fuck was this? You could have cut Murray and Balaban completely out of this movie. Yeah. Completely. Let me ask you this. You know how movies are made and stuff like that. Does anyone at in this movie go like, this is going to be reminiscent of Little Shop of Horrors when Bill Murray's in the dentist chair? Uh-huh, uh-huh. We're going to get some of those laughs. Yeah. Does anybody like think like that? Or is that just like... <sighs> I think George Clooney thinks like that. <sighs> it's his, terrible. His, honestly, Clooney is... And I'll say this. I, I love the Coen brothers, but his, the Clooney Coen brothers movies are always my least favorite. Oh, really? His concept of comedy is so basic. It's so simple. It's like, make a funny face... Fall down. See, I love him. Have a funny mustache. Bug your eyes out. It's just so easy. There's no subtlety to it. There's no No, anything. That's true. It's the sense of humor of a man who has never had to make women laugh to have (laughs) sex with them. (laughs) And I am not projecting. It's like, I don't have to make an effort. I don't have to have like nuance. I don't need to have a setup or a punchline. Oh, fuck. No, it's awful. Anyway. We're at, now we get two towns that are very importantly brought up all over and over again. Sergei and Merkins. I believe that's the true German pronunciation. Siegen. Siegen. Merkers, I think. Or Mer- I can't <laughs> so it's not Sergei and Merkins? <laughs> Merkins. I'm going to go with Merkins, but it is Siegen. That's where the Merkin was invented. <laughs> so... The investigation that Clooney and Epstein are doing finally leads to the Nazi boss at his home in Germany, and he has all these paintings on the wall. Balaban and Murray, not Clooney and Epstein. Oh, you're right. At his house in Germany. Where but just by accident. Yeah, just by a complete accident, because, well, there's like, who who is a, an art expert in the area? And they're like, oh, this guy was an art student, so go to his house. So they go to his house, and they see all these paintings but on the But he's wall. also the nephew of the doctor. That's the, right. The dentist. Yeah. The dentist, that's the whole setup for the thing. He's, is they like, we need an art expert, and that's how the dentist tr- clues them into this guy. But they only go to the dentist because Murray accidentally eats a nut and cracks his tooth. I mean, so it's just accident it that this happened. It all adds up, man. <laughs> man the there are no spot. accidents in the monuments. <laughs> <It's> amazing. <laughs> So they see all the paintings on the wall. They get very suspicious. Um, they're not believing his story, and they f- are finally able to capture him. You know, look, I love Inglorious Masters. Yeah. 
not every movie needs to be Inglorious Bastards. It doesn't need to be a whole comic book genre, crazy mashup music video thing. Okay, that's fine. All yeah. right. Clooney wanted to make a different sort of a film. Okay. But could you shape a single goddamn scene for me? Could they, you have any kind of tension at all? They try to make this an intense interrogation scene with Murray and Balaban, oh, who Jesus. are not good at that. Oh, and everyone is phoning it in so hard, so hard. Ed. They do a little dipsy doodle where Balaban shouts Heil Hitler, and the little kids respond, Heil Hitler, so now they know Nazi co-conspirators. Yeah. So they take him prisoner. Here's the thing. Kate Blanchett had this information probably the entire time and yep. for no reason has been resisting. We next cut to Dujardin and Goodman. Who are Garfield and Claremont, and you don't need to know that at all. But now they say their names finally. I don't think it ever does. No. This scene is just awful, but it's basically just there to kill John Duchardin. Right. Let's kill all the non-Americans, the, the inessential people in World War II. Just like World War II, baby. So there's this whole sequence where Duchardin gets out of their Jeep or whatever to look at a horse. Oh, I thought they were going to take a piss. Every time they find Nazis is when you go take a piss. You're right. It's look at a horse. There's a horse, and he just wants to admire the horse because I guess his whole backstory is... But, horses? But that is a euphemism for taking a piss. I got to go see a man about a horse. <laughs> <laughs> he literally sees a man about a horse. Um, and then we see that uh, there's a bunch of American soldiers crouching in the brush, and then a bunch of Nazi soldiers are kind of advancing. Yeah. John Goodman does an amazing sort of move to like get the, get Dujardin, but he gets shot. How does he get in the truck? He was he was standing two feet away from Nazis in the bush. No idea, but he does some crazy Starsky and Hutch shit to somehow pick up <laughs> Dujardin before the Nazis. Huggy bears running out the back. <laughs> but Dujardin does get shot, and yeah. so he gets a whole writhing death scene, and yep. Goodman gets to carry his body around and scream for help and scream for help. And who comes in with a big old speech? Georgia Clooney! More speeching and preaching, baby. Pious, preachy, phony, fucking bullshit. But don't worry, there's another map. Right. <laughs> Yet another map. Uh, so there's a copper mine in Segan. This yeah. is the thing. So they go to this copper mine in Segan. They just like, get this information and then go there. And there's all the art. There's all the art. 16,000 pieces uh, found. Uh, George Clooney very derisively says the Nazis treated paintings better than they did people. I wrote down the same fucking line. Oh my dude. god! I mean, it's just like, yeah, I, that was, I guess, that but was also your... that's every art gallery in the world treats <laughs> paintings better than they treat people. Like, so did Indiana Jones. It's the fucking name of your game. And here's the here's the whole thing. Like, we found the art. Yeah, we know where it was. We Stahl has been arrested. Yeah, we're forty minutes still left in this goddamn so movie. Much left to go. Damon, still in France. Now, like, going by the date, Chirons, he's been in France for nearly a year. <laughs> it's been at least, I mean, it's hard to tell, but it's been at least nine With months. With Blanchett just negging him the whole the time. The whole time while he's doing his fucking job. He also got her out of prison, remember? Yeah. So he's just going to go because they found it completely yep. without her help. And suddenly she's leaping into action, right? She's like, they go have coffee together. He's like, I'm taking off. And she's like, well, let's have dinner. He yeah. goes over to her house for dinner, at which point she's like, here's this full ledger that I kept of all the stolen art. I kept it secret for an entire year. Here's my question to Kate Blanchett. Who are you waiting for? Yeah, right. Because the ideal situation for you, if you were sitting in prison as a Nazi collaborator, would be, and I'm just spitballing here, 
let's say if a high-ranking officer in a special military unit that was specifically tasked with recovering stolen art and taking it back to the people it belonged, I'd say if that guy came, got me out of prison, and then I followed him around for a year, that would be the guy that I would probably give it to. But instead, she withholds it until now because now is just the time in the movie where he needs it to give it to her. Maybe she was sitting around it. after the war ended and after this guy left and went back to America. She's like, hey, you guys, you want to go find all this Nazi stolen art? Dude, mil- American military was going to do it for us, but no, I think us on this block can go do That's it better. That's just it. Like, she was just going to do it herself. Oh, Jesus. It's insane. Yeah, but it's just, again, her motivation it, 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 there is no motivation. No, she's this wasted. is just the time in the movie where the movie needs her to give Damon her ledger and also offer to have sex with him. Right. Okay. So, Kate Blanchett in this scene is very obviously saying it's Paris. You're when when she hears that I've got my orders. It's like you hear sploosh. <laughs> she's like, oh, I'll never see you again. We can have one last night. Okay, come back to my my crib. She makes this nice dinner. She gets dressed up. She's begging him to have sex Just, with her. Come on. One time. He's married. He talks about his wife and all. Yeah. Literally, Damon, yeah. throw her a bone. Yeah. You know what I mean? If somebody, okay, I know it's all phony the way it was done and everything, but somebody just gave you all the necessary information you need to do that. <laughs> Fuck them. Go down on them. You know what I mean? Sure. Your wife will understand. You just saved all, if, if yeah. all this worth, works of art is worth people's lives, it's worth some little d- dis- happiness in your marriage. Worth something on the side. Yeah. Give I it think, to her. You know, if she'd have done it maybe in the first six months that she had known <laughs> that he was a it. fully sincere person who was tasked with doing the exact thing that she was preparing for. <laughs> I think after month six, he was probably more irritated than anything. The saddest thing about this is even as he's walking out the door, she's still looking at him like, is he going to change his mind? Can I turn this around? Uh, Can I work this? (laughs) What kind of argument can I make here? Next Chiron, April 1945, Merkin, Germany, or whatever it says. Merkin. Damon's there, so he has to give a speech about how he's proud to be a part of it. We get more speeches that basically add up to Nazis are bad. Right. Uh, and while they're patting themselves on the back for all of finding all of this art, just a reminder, the Holocaust is still happening. Sure, yeah. Um, but they're, they're feeling good about themselves. They find a bunch of gold, so of course the generals come in and take all the credit for that. They have the wire dope on the table moment where all the up higher-ups get to take a picture in front of all exactly. the confiscated goods. Next, Chiron. Hellbrom Mine. Germany. <laughs> yeah, the world famous. There's Elbron another mine. mine with more stolen art in it, but now the Nazis are torching it with flamethrowers. So again, artificial ticking clock that uh, the Nazis, now that the war is coming to an end, could just go ahead and torch all this stuff and they need to go in and get it. John Goodman's character is like telling George Clooney, hey, I got trucks. George Clooney says, do I want to know how? And they kind of giggle. And it's like, I thought the whole point of this was that like war thieving is bad. <laughs> and now we're just making light of how you fucking stole all these trucks. At this point, they're just are like wandering around from place to place. They come upon a castle that is like filled with all these statues. And there's an amazing scene where Matt David pulls out the ledger. He sees a little uh, dot on a statue. He pulls out the ledger. He sees the dot. And he actually goes, huh. He has a, huh. Thanks, Claire. He has a contented sigh. It's fucking amazing. My notes right here says, oh, yeah, the Russians. I forgot about them. <laughs> and then the Russian the Russian guy who's like the main leader, you never hear him utter dialogue. He's never introduced anything. He's just an evil Russian. He's just leading the group of Russians. He just walks into a room, turns to the left, and then finds the book <laughs> saying where all the stuff is kept. 
man, Clooney and all them had to yeah. wander around, get people killed, but this guy just finds a book. Like, finds a book, got it all. So they have to kind of get all this art out before the Russians are going to come because the Russians want to like take all this art and like the Americans want to take it all. Yeah. When they discover where the Ghent art altarpiece is being kept, G- Goodman has a part where he bangs a table and goes, it's still there. <laughs> Clooney looks at him almost kind of like, you going to go with that one? <laughs> like like that? The director Clooney yeah. was like looking at him. I'm not doing another take. <laughs> so Clooney goes to interrogate this Nazi um, that they found and try to find out where the altarpiece, and, or actually really where the, the Michelangelo is. Yeah, the MacGuffin This is what he's child. after because he's out to redeem Hugh Bonneville uh, for drinking. So this is the part of the campaign speech. You know where the candidate is like, Talks about all the people they met out on the road. You know, I met Sharon, <laughs> the waitress from Annapolis, Maryland, yeah, who's Joe, trying to raise two kids. Joe the plumber, I who's worried Joe about his family. <laughs> Her dad's a Navy SEAL. All this whole story. So this is his part of the speech, and he talks about old Sid, old Sid, old Sid, and the deli that he runs, and how old Sid Melman, old Sid Melman, and how what he's done, he's going to go back to that spot, and he's going to have a cup of coffee and a bagel with Sid. Sid's Jewish, get it? <laughs> Melman. He has a shop where he sells bagels. <laughs> Which is like, this is how fucking phony Clooney is. Just his like liberalism is affixed so a yarmulke to his head. Seriously. It's like, uh, as they're cleaning out before the Russians, they find both the Ghent altarpiece and Bonneville's Madonna, which they get out. So anyway, they evacuate all the art. They save the Madonna. They save the Ghent altarpiece. They leave an American flag for those dirty Russians. Ha <laughs> ha. More Clooney speeches, this time to uh, Harry Truman, who we yes. do get to see his face. And he's doing, you know, Clooney is uh, not afraid uh, who he hurts. He's going to condemn Nazis and extol the greatness of art. So <laughs> sorry if you don't like it. And Truman's kind of a prick because Truman's like, let me ask you. Let is me this, ask you. Is this really worth it? You got people killed, you piece of shit. Was it worth it for a bunch of damn paintings that my daughter could do? I dropped a bomb on people after the war was over. But is this really <laughs> worth it? I'm Terry Truman. I'm from the South. So we do a little bit of a where are they now? <laughs> I know he's from fucking Missouri. We do another. <laughs> they do kind of a where are they now thing where there's another slideshow. There's more speeches. There's ceremonies. There's speeches. There's I think slide. you can hear Clooney masturbating at this point. <laughs> And again, my whole thing about this movie's feeling on art and just how impersonal it is, like when Clooney is like, here's all the art that we got, he just like flips through a bunch of slides. We don't even see the slides because you know what? It's not important. Who did the art? What is the art? Yeah. What is it trying to say? How does it make me feel? Doesn't matter. Art. Great art. All we see is it reflected in like Truman's glasses. And all the slides are just pictures of them recovering them. It's, That's all it is. Yeah. It's so fucking self-congratulatory. I just absolutely but hate it. But because this movie wants so bad to be saving Private Ryan but for art, the way it ends is with a future vision. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, Truman asks, was it worth it? Because you got a Frenchman and a British guy killed. Was it worth it? But I think Truman would have asked it like this. So was it worth it? (laughs) I'm Harry Truman. I'm from Scotland. Listen, I'm Harry Truman. (laughs) Was it worth it, you little bastard? (laughs) I'm from Joplin, Missouri. (laughs) (laughs) So it kind of 
on an ambiguous note, fades out and then fades in, and we get our last Chiron, 1977 Bruges, Belgium. Old Man Clooney, who I believe is actually Nick Clooney, who's yeah, like his, his, dad. Great, his dad or yeah, great uncle. Uh, old Man Clooney comes and looks at the statue and is basically like, fuck yeah, it was worth it. Literally, his only dialogue goes, yep. Yep. <laughs> and he's all like, and we just see again the beaming faces of the children. Yep. They're just staring at it in awe. And he comes with his grandkid, looks at it for two seconds, says, yep, and is like, let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> fuck art. <laughs> and that is. Your movie. That it is, is the Monuments, Monuments Man. Man. Quirky. Any final thoughts on Monuments Man? I think this movie is proselytizing in the most shallow and empty way. It's a movie of other movies that tells you that this stuff exists for a reason, but doesn't give you any reason to care about anybody doing it or any anything about it. There, there's a point where they are all devastated because a Picasso was burned. And mm-hmm. I was actually wondering, was Picasso that relevant in 1945 as he would be uh, now yeah. burning a Picasso. And I think that's the whole, that, I think that's really indicative of it. It's just like, these are names. This is art. It's supposed to be important. Art's important. We're important for talking about art. Right. Yeah. No, it's fucking garbage. Yeah. I And this movie has no momentum. It has no plot. It has no shape or anything like that. And what's so annoying is that suddenly, in literally like the last five minutes, it's like, the Russians are coming, hurry. And there's suddenly this ticking clock where like, if they don't get out with the art now, that the Russians are going to come and steal it. Yeah, that whole Russian bit is fucking annoying. It's so awful. It's just such a fake, I mean, again, there's a movie with, without any stakes, without any tension, without any real story. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, shapeless scenes. Uh, there's no character. It's clattering tones. It's cheap comedy. It's false. It's phony. It's fake. And no matter how much it tries to subvert or eschew all the usual genre trappings, it's way more fake than any genre. Did film it try would be. to issue any? It I, doesn't do anything. It embraced That's the them. thing. Yeah, but the th- yeah. So. Uh, have you ever heard of a movie called The Train by John Frankenheimer? No. It's from the 60s. And that's about French resistance fighters who are trying to prevent Nazis from taking stolen art out of France. It's more of an action movie. It's more of a straight-up genre Fuck type of yeah. a film. It's a million times less fake and yeah. fraudulent than this movie, which tries to talk about how important it is. So, Corky, wow. let's uh, wrap up and give our ratings on the film. Just to remind everyone, your run-of-the-mill bad film is a dare. The next-level bad film is a double dare. And a movie we actually like is a reverse dare. Corky, thoughts on Monument Men. What is your rating? I was halfway through. I was like, this is a dare. I mean, it's like, a, like you said, with this cast, with this crew, with George Clooney, it's not going to be incompetently shot or acted, that kind of stuff. However... After about the midway point, I'm like, oh, this is a fucking reverse dare, or not a a double dare. Stay away from this thing. This thing did not get better. It's empty as shit. Read the book. Yeah, there's no hidden layers to this. Yeah, exactly. Read the nonfiction book. Read about the real Monuments Men. And I'll include some articles about the Monuments Men in the post for the show. How about you? Double dare all the way. Like I said, it's one of the worst movies we've ever done. I can handle... Like, I can handle the camera, bad acting, and the camera, like, being shaky and, and the kind of sleepaway camp style badness or, or even some of the other badness that we've seen. To me, the this sort of, like, perfectly mounted but totally vapid and yet completely pretentious and preachy, that I cannot stand. I can't stand it. Yeah. And this movie was painful. It, it just felt like I was in school being taught by a professor who did not know anything about the subject. <laughs> who never had to make a woman laugh to get laid. <laughs> Again, not projecting. Hey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's all we have for you on this episode of Dare Daniel, but we'll be back next week to review another one of your movie dares. Thank you, Seth Katz, for this one. In the meantime, check out our Thursday mini-episode for a preview of the next Dare Daniel review, as well as more talk about your dares and movies in general. Until then, send your most sadistic or altruistic movie dares to us at daredaniel.com, and be sure to follow Dare Daniel Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like and rate us on the iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast. Doesn't matter to us. Corky. Yeah. You're running around. You're preserving works of art. Where can people find your art? Well, you can find me at 343 Belgian, 345 Merkin, 846 Nice, 922 Belgian again. I'll be in salt mines, copper mines, and wherever. Sure. Wherever Nazis can be found. <laughs> I've been hanging out with Nazis. Like, yeah, they got some ideas. No. <laughs> I didn't say they were good ones. I'm going to do not make me deliver a speech about how Nazis are bad for Because I then, will do it. And then pat my back. <laughs> so for Dare Daniel, I'm Daniel Barnes. Our producer is Johnny, a monument of a man, Flores. And I'm Corky McDonald saying literally nothing from this movie was worth remembering to say. Yeah. I wish I had forgotten it already. Yeah. Have fun. Love you.